Okay, you maybe you've been waiting for this. Some of you have been the same, but we've been in this book of John. Isn't there a lot more Bible that we need to be looking at? We spend so much time in this Gospel of John and, and all of that. But uh, I just, I know this for certain. I don't know when I'm going to retire, but I can almost promise you I will never be preaching through John again. So, <laughs> so this was my last shot on that one. But we will be moving on to the book of Acts. Uh, just, to me, it just makes reasonable sense. You know, we've been studying John and the rest of the apostles and, and Jesus and his ministry. And it just makes logical sense to me that we would move on to what became of all of this. And that's what you find in the book of Acts. So, uh, and we're going to be doing it a little messed up this morning because there's a couple of verses that are very similar to one another, almost related to one another. Uh, that I'm going to take out of the text, and then we're going to jump back into the rest of the text. But we skipped over uh, chapter 20, verse, uh, verse 30 and 31 last week, and I want to read that first. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that, he, uh, and, and, and that by believing you may have life in your name. And then we're going to jump to the end of the chapter, Verse 25, now there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Even though we have four Gospels, all of them combine, combine tell us only a small bit of everything that Jesus did and everything that Jesus said. Snapshots of the life and ministry of Jesus condensed down into these four Gospels that we have. Some people may say, well, that, uh, why didn't he give us more? He should have given us more. It'd be nice if we had more. But reality is this, is he gave us everything that we need to know everything that we need to know. Everything we need to know to come to faith in him as our Lord and Savior and to, and to teach us how to live in this world as befits a Christian. Sometimes people wonder why are there four Gospels instead of one. And you need to understand that there actually are other Gospels. We just don't consider them to be part of Holy Writ. But there are other Gospels written by other people. So why four? Well, I would say to you this is, is what you're going to find is in each one of them, each one of them almost follows the same ba basic format, but... You know, a lot of the material in all four is very similar, if not identical. But at the same time, every one of those four Gospels has material in it that is unique to it. So all combined, we have a much bigger picture now of the life and ministry of Jesus. But I want to challenge you with the idea that, that what we have doesn't even come close to what reality was. We have what we need, but there's a whole lot more.
each one of these gospels they have they have material that's very common in common almost verbatim sometimes with one another but you also find that they have unique material in them so working together they give us a much better overall picture let me ask you something how big do you think the book would be if you wrote a book and someone else wrote a book about you that accounted for absolutely every hour, every minute, every second of what you did yesterday, how big do you think the book would be? You get my point? <laughs> Lots of things to write about Jesus. A lot of things to tell about Jesus. But the book necessary to tell us about everything that he did and absolutely everything that he said would fill the universe. But hallelujah, we have what we need. We have what God wants us to know at this point, completely and fully and absolutely. I would challenge us with the idea this morning that the scriptures are one of the most precious gifts that God has ever given to us. Far from Jesus himself and the salvation that comes through him, I can't think of any greater gift that he's given to us. Because it's by these scriptures that we come to know him and come to understand what his will and purpose is for us uh, in our lives. And again, I just want to emphasize from the pulpit this morning how important it is for all of us to be regularly in God's word. Please, 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 I beg you, don't rely on me to tell you everything you need to know. Because I cannot do that. The regular reading and studying of the Word of God is part of the, the vocation of every Christian. And it should be something that we're about doing constantly and continually throughout our whole lifetime, realizing that we will never come to full and complete understanding of everything. We all have room to grow. But let me tell you something. You may have been a Christian for 40 or 50 years now, but I can almost guarantee you, you won't grow one whit more if you're not in the Word. It's absolutely critical for your spiritual health, and it's certainly critical for your spiritual growth. So please don't rely upon me to tell you everything you need to know, because there's way more. Okay, back to the rest of the text. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed, and that's also the Sea of Galilee, you need to understand that. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two uh, others of the disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, 
We will go with you. This is, I'm just rereading what we did last week. They went out and got into the boat, uh, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring me some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went uh, aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish uh, of them. And all they, there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Uh, now none of the disciples uh, dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so were the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And now what we're going to be talking about this morning. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you, you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following him, then the one who had been reclining at table close to him and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Saying, <clears throat> so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But it is, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Remember that Peter was the disciple who had denied Jesus three times during what we call the Last Supper. After Jesus had told him that he would do it, and he denied it, he did it anyway. You ever do anything like that? 
The only reason I bring that up is this, is sometimes people look upon this text we're looking at now as Peter's restoration. And there's a, certainly a sense in which that's taking place. We know that Peter committed a great crime against Christ in his denial, and he did that three times and, and all of that. And this last conversation that Jesus has with any of these guys has a purpose in it, and part of that purpose is to, in a sense, restore Peter back. But he questions him in regard to his love for him. There actually are three different words in Greek that can be translated into love. Eros is sexual kind of love. Phileo is brotherly love. And then we've all heard about this agape love. Uh, You may not realize it, but... As you read through the Gospel of John, John actually uses not eros, but the other two, phileo and agape, almost interchangeably. But agape is considered to be love of the very deepest and fullest sort. You know, when the Bible talks about God's love for us, Jesus' love for us, it is that word that is used. So what is going on here? Jesus uses agape here specifically for a reason. And it seems as though he's trying to lift Peter to a higher level of understanding of what love is. And in, in, in challenging him to love him with that deepest kind of love. Some people question, what is uh, Jesus uh, talking about when he's referring to these? What is the these? I heard a sermon preached uh, on these texts that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, and the conclusion there was he was talking about the fish. Do you love me more than you love the fish? Do you love me more than fishing? Does he love, is, is Jesus challenging Peter with the idea or asking him whether he loves, loves Jesus more than he loves John and his brother Andrew who was a disciple? In other words, out of all of these men here, am I the one that you love the most sort of thing? I don't think either one of those is a very good explanation of this text, even though you'll find people come to those conclusions. What Jesus is doing is trying to press Peter to raise his love to a higher level.
to love him with agape love just as he has loved Peter with agape love. And let's face it, when it comes, we do know this, that they all scattered when Jesus was arrested, right? They all went and hid away, and, you know, they didn't come out public and acknowledge their association with him or anything like that. But at the same time, we do know that Peter betrayed Jesus in a way the other ones just simply did not. So I can imagine out of all the people there that Peter, above everybody, needs to feel this real, complete, and absolute sense of forgiveness from Jesus because of his dirty deed. In other words, I think what is going on here is that Jesus is challenging Peter with the idea that his love must increase, his love must be greater. The degree of his forgiveness by Christ has something to do with the degree of love that should be returned. One of the interesting things about this is Jesus uses the word agape when he says love here, and Peter responds to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. In other words, when Peter says, I love you, he's not saying it in the same way, in the same degree that Jesus just told him that he loved him. I don't want to make too big of a deal out of that, but there could be something there. You know, it could be scary. It can be scary for us sometimes when we start thinking about the simple fact that God sees everything that we do. He hears everything that we say. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're feeling. He knows everything that goes on inside us. We don't have any secrets from him at all. Peter has no secrets from Jesus. Jesus is telling Peter exactly what Peter needs to hear. Nothing less, nothing more. Have you ever heard Jesus say to you, do you love me? That would be a shocker. What would he find, really, in your own heart? That deepest, deepest kind of love, agape love, or maybe something more of a lesser degree or sort. He commands all of us to love him with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength.
do we? I can only speak for myself. Actually, I think I can speak for everybody in this whole room. (laughs) That is, every one of us could certainly improve a very great deal when it comes to our love for Christ. We just simply could. And reality is this is very often the love that we have for Christ is, is played out in the love that we have for one another. And let me just tell you something. This congregation may not be big. It may not be having a huge impact worldwide or anything like that. But one of the things that I hear almost, almost every time we have visitors come, and that is that there is obviously a great love that these people have for the Lord as well as for one another. I've had people tell me that you need to understand something, Keith, and that is Springs is a special church where the people there really do care. They really do love one another. It's obvious. There are a lot of people that need to feel that love who never have, and so our love can't stay in this room. It's got to go forth into the world. We need to be a church that is very loving amongst ourselves, but one at the same time that wants others to come and truly experience the love of Christ. That's not all that Jesus says uh, to Peter. He also tells him to feed my lambs, to tend my sheep. To feed my sheep three times. Not exactly the same phrase, but he tells him basically the same thing three times. Now, there are people in this world today that would claim the name of apostle. There are people walking around on the face of this planet who go by the title apostle. I would advise you not to walk too closely with them. Because uh, we know this, we understand this. The apostles, a select group of men that, that, that were commissioned by Jesus for the purpose of carrying the gospel into the, uh, to the, the world uh, at the time of his ascension into heaven. And we understand that it was a temporary office. But at the same time, I want to challenge you with the idea that it's a continuing office in this sense. What are we reading today? What have we just read We've read part of the gospel according to who? To John. So what I'm telling you is even though there are not apostles being called forth today and there haven't been for almost 2,000 years, the apostles themselves are still speaking to you and me today. They continue to feed you and I. Through what they wrote. I was naive enough to believe 28 years ago that when I was entering the pastorate, I had a good idea of what I was getting into. Mike's smiling. (laughs) 
It's way more than anyone ever has any idea of. I mean, you can, I'm so thankful for this good seminary education I got. I really, I don't think I could have gotten a better one than I got. You know, and all of that. But there are a lot of things as a pastor that people can't even teach you. You have to kind of learn your way as you go kind of thing. And obviously, people are, you're going to make mistakes at times. Hopefully, every now and then, you, at least every now and then, you get something right. A lot of what you do, you learn by trial and error. And pastors wear many hats. I just picked up a dirty diaper out in the parking lot and brought it in through the garbage. <laughs> I don't do that very often. <laughs> but I have known guys, actually there's a person that comes to my mind who had the mindset that I'm the pastor and I'm supposed to teach this, that, and the, or, or whatever, and, and they refuse to do other things. Pastors should never consider anything to be too menial for them to do. And let me tell you, when we were building buildings, I was here pretty much every time we were doing. You know, I put studs up in the walls in this building and this, that, and the other, and I loved doing it. And I loved the guys that I'd do it with. But this idea that a pastor is just kind of this lofty person that is above everybody else, you need to throw that out the window. Pastors are just people just like everybody else. They have been called to a special purpose and that sort of thing. But a lot of being a pastor is stuff that you, because you're confronted with circumstances constantly that you've never dealt with before. And they didn't teach you how to do it when you were in school. And I think very often, and I don't have a problem with this personally, but, but very often people have expectations for pastors that are just not even realistic. Like they're super people. If you know me, you know that that's not true in my case. But the principal and primary vocation of someone like me is to teach and preach the word of God to feed the sheep. That's the most important and the most principal thing that I do. Everything else, everything else is secondary. We don't have apostles anymore. We have pastors that God calls forth to do this. To feed the sheep. And if you walk out of here this morning and you don't feel like you've been fed, you need to give me my pink slip. And you think I'm kidding.
My passion for everyone in this room is to have an abiding and ever-deepening, ever-deepening love for Jesus and the love for his word and for his church. Being a pastor is not all fun and roses. Now there's plenty of fun and roses. But sometimes you have to deal with really hard, difficult, tear-jerking stuff. I'm not even going to tell you why or anything, but just so you get some understanding of what I'm talking about, Lori will tell you that I almost never cry. And part of that was ingrained in me when I was a kid, and that is that just little, the girls cry, guys don't cry. There's something wrong when a guy or a man cries. And let me tell you something, that's a lie from the pit of hell. God gave you a gift. And that one of those gifts, he gives you many gifts, and one of those is the ability to cry, to let your emotions flow. And everybody needs to do that at times. Last, a week ago, Friday night, I sat in my recliner and I sobbed like a baby all night. Because of something that went on that most of you don't know about and you're not going to know about it. So why am I telling you? So you'll understand what it really is. Some of the things that you do are, the, I mean, just, just, just wonderful, just unbelievably great and grand and good and all of that. But sometimes it hurts bad. So why am I even telling you? I'm telling you, because I, I hope I'm not very different than you are. <laughs> And the reality is this, as we know this, that walking with Christ, the benefits of walking with Christ far, far, far unbelievably outweigh any hurt or harm or whatever falls upon you. There's no comparison. But a pastor's primary job is to feed the sheep. See, ministry requires more than just feeding. It also requires tending the sheep. Which sometimes can be messy. You know, sheep are pretty messy things. People also tend to be pretty messy things at times. Remember James, the brother of Jesus, 
we're not even sure. He was, hadn't even come to faith probably at, the time, at, this, at this time. We have a reason to believe he hadn't come to faith at this time. But shortly after, and then he will write, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, I don't know, there's a more sobering text in the whole Bible. It's something that every person who is aspiring to be a shepherd needs to give serious consideration to. We will give account not only for ourselves, but we will give an account to God for what we have done. in his name I can remember this you know I sat under R.C. Sproul and some other really great teachers and preachers and and all of that and, and, and sometimes they would do things to shock us <laughs> say things to shock us Mike's smiling. He kind of just wants to talk about maybe. Uh, but we were in uh, theology class one night, and out of the clear blue, he looked at us. He said, if you can do anything but preach and teach, then please do it. Please do it. And you think that didn't get our attention? Not at all what we expect to hear from our seminary professor. He's supposed to be teaching us this, that, and the other. He's supposed to be encouraging us. But let me tell you, I will never, I never forgot it, and I never will forget it. And I can honestly tell you the reason I'm here this morning is because I can't do anything else. And don't believe for a minute that sometimes I don't think about it and sometimes maybe I, uh, I want to go and to do something else. And I'll say that to Mike this morning. If you can do anything else, bro. I hope you don't. To do what we do requires a special calling that must come from God. And it's, if it's from God, you can't wiggle out of it. You may try to. You may want to at times. And I just want to challenge us this morning as well, and that is that God calls us all, Jesus calls us all to mission. And it's, it's not just for people like me, it's for every believer. I think sometimes people think we get to just kind of pick and choose what we want to do, and if we don't want to do something, then we don't have to. And if we choose not to do something, that's okay, and... And whatever, but reality is when God calls us to do whatever, how could we possibly tell him no? And yet we do it all the time.
Anyway, trying to cram a lot into just a little bit of time here. So what is your mission? That's my whole point here. What is it? God's called you to mission. You have a mission. What is it? You need to understand what it is, and you need to be about it. Mission isn't just to show up at church on Sunday morning and then let the rest of the week go the way it is just going to go. Every one of us is called a mission. John puts a little editorial note in here, it looks like, or someone maybe added it later on, is what kind of some people think. Jesus says to Peter, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. And we have this editorial note that this was said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. You, I don't know if you know it or not, but you know the, the death of Peter doesn't appear in Scripture anywhere, but it is in history, in historical records, and that is Peter was martyred in Rome later on, and he was crucified in Rome. The strange thing about it is this, is he was crucified upside down. You know why? Because he didn't feel like he was worthy to die exactly the same death that Jesus did. So he personally requested that when they crucified him to do it upside down. We all are going to die unless Jesus comes back first, right? The generation that's living at the time of the second coming of Christ will not taste physical death. Their bodies will be glorified. People wonder about their death. Wonder when it's going to come, what it's going to be like. Everyone hopes for a peaceful, calm death, pain-free death. Some people get that wish. A lot of people don't. But the thing that should most concern us is a question. And the question is this. When my time comes, will I be found faithful to my Lord? In my life. And in my death. If you died in the next minute, could you truly say, I lived a life of service and dedication to the Lord?
Don't feel bad. None of us could. Because we all could easily see things that we could have done and should have done, ought to have done. That we didn't do it. So even though very often, we are faithful some of the time. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to be entirely negative here. We are very often very faithful in doing what Christ has called us to do. The fact of the matter is, though, none of us can claim to always be faithful in doing what he's called us to do. Jesus loves you, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And he loves me too. We owe everything to him. Not just a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Next week, we begin Acts.